It's not. It's just funny. So watch this. You're just in time. I believe I've isolated the algorithm for making friends. Sheldon, there is no algorithm for making friends. Well, hear him out. If he's really onto something, we could open a booth at Comic-Con, make a fortune. <laughs> My initial approach to Kripke had the same deficiencies as those that plagued Stu the Cockatoo when he was new at the zoo. Stu the Cockatoo? Yes, he's new at the zoo. It's a terrific book. I've distilled its essence into a simple flow chart that will guide me through the process. Have you thought about putting him in a crate while you're out of the apartment? Kripke? Yeah, Sheldon Cooper here. It occurred to me that you hadn't returned any of my calls because I hadn't offered any concrete suggestions for pursuing our friendship. Yet perhaps the two of us might share a meal together. Yeah, I see. Well, then perhaps you'd have time for a hot beverage. Popular choices include tea, coffee, cocoa. I see. No, 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 wait, don't hang up yet. But... What about a recreational activity? I bet we share some common interests. You tell me an interest of yours. You, really? On actual horses? <laughs> tell me another interest of yours. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I have no desire to get in the water till I absolutely have to. <laughs> tell me another interest of yours. Uh-oh, he's stuck in an infinite loop. I can fix it. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, but isn't ventriloquism by definition a solo activity? Yeah. I mean, tell me another interest of yours. Hmm. Is there any chance you like monkeys? Yeah, what is wrong with you? Everybody likes monkeys. Hang on, Kripke. A loop counter and an escape to the least objectionable activity. Howard, that's brilliant. I'm surprised you saw that. <laughs> Gee, why can't Sheldon make friends? <laughs> All right, Kripke, that last interest strikes me as the least objectionable, and I would like to propose that we do that together. Tomorrow. Yes, I'll pay. <laughs> All right, goodbye. All right. Time to learn rock climbing. <laughs> okay, so... Uh... So we're talking about friendship. Uh, it's one of those things. I talk to people all the time about this, this topic, and uh, we talk about their friendships or their lack of friendships and uh, the challenges that come from, uh, from either side there. Almost every week I'm talking to people who are um, looking for real friends. They're, they're struggling. They're wondering why they're struggling to make friends. Uh, they, they wonder what's happening in their friendships right now. They're wondering why some friends seem to have deserted them, uh, why they're, they've been disappointed by some friends, sometimes in their time of need. Um, friendship is something that we're all looking for, but we can't manufacture it. It's something that we know it when we see it, but we can't make it happen on our own. So we said last week that over the course of our lives, our friends intersect with the major decisions of our lives. And we said that our friendships influence and sometimes determine the direction and the quality of our lives. And our friends and the people that we allow in the inner circle of our lives, they, they will influence and in many cases determine the direction of our lives. Therefore, who's on the inside of our lives, those people who we consider our friends, is very, very, very important. We talked about the dangers of having counterfeit friends. They don't sit around at night and try to think of ways to destroy our lives. No, not at all. But on the contrary, their goal is simply to be your friend. 
they're not enemies in the intentional sense of the word, but they're enemies in the consequential sense, in the outcome, in the results of things. And the Bible says there are people who look like, who act like, who feel like friends, but it's not what it appears to be. And we said that enemies can set you back, but a counterfeit friend can ruin your life. So we talked about the characteristics of a counterfeit, and we talked about how to move those counterfeit friends out of a circle of influence to a circle of concern. Then we read a passage from John 15, where Jesus was talking with his disciples, and he said, my command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. He said, you are my friends you do what I command. And I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I learned from my father I've made known to you. So today we want to continue uh, what we started last week and talk about friendship. Friendship is one of those things that hopefully everybody in this room has experienced on some level. Hopefully you've been a friend. Hopefully you've had a friend. Hopefully you are a friend. And yet there's something about friendship that's hard to put into words. People talk about going out and making friends or coming to church and making friends or, you know, moving to a new area and making friends. And it, I'm not sure that's really good terminology because it's really hard to make a friend. Uh, I mean, we do our part. There's a part that we all play. But it, sometimes things uh, don't play out the way we intend for them to or despite all of our efforts, there, no friendship is to be had. Some, it's, sometimes it's just a chemistry kind of thing. So we gave a definition last time, and we're going to use that again today, that friendship is a relationship that involves three things. It's a relationship that's characterized by enjoyment. It's a relationship characterized by acceptance and a relationship uh, characterized by genuine concern. Enjoyment, acceptance, and genuine concern. For the people that we consider our friends, all three of those things are present in that relationship. Interestingly enough, if we're real honest, we'd have to say that most of us, most of our friendships, don't go further than acceptance. There are people we consider our friends, we enjoy being with them, we have some things in common, we have some of the same interests, we play golf or we hike or we go to the movies together and we feel accepted and we feel like we can be ourselves, but as far as knowing that they would be there for us or knowing that we would be there for them, even if it's a sacrifice of our time and our emotional energy, knowing that there's genuine, authentic concern, that's a different thing altogether. It's on another level altogether. And unfortunately, many of us stop short of experiencing real, genuine friendship because of this third element that we so often overlook. It's that mutual concern thing that says, I'm so committed to you that I'm willing to risk the friendship for the sake of my friend. I'm willing to jeopardize our relationship and all the enjoyment and acceptance that I experience in this relationship. I'm willing to jeopardize that in order to exercise genuine concern, in order to truly be your friend. I'm willing to risk being shut out and put out of your life because I need to tell you something that you don't want to hear because I need to be this voice of truth in your life. That's how committed I am to you. And the interesting thing is, even though this third element is often foreign in our relationships, As you listen to people talk about the thing that makes a friendship a a real friendship, they may not even talk about enjoyment and they may not even talk about acceptance. Usually people go straight to the heart of this element of friendship that is genuine concern, this idea that I'm in this for you and you're in this for me. 
And when we talk about friendship, when we're just, you know, kind of talking about it, what we want in a friendship, we often go straight to this third level, this third element that seems to authenticate the relationship. That some, we want somebody who will be there when we need them, somebody who will listen, someone who will stand by your side, someone who will be, just be present when they don't know what else to do. We want that genuine concern. But the truth is, more often than not, our relationships go no further than enjoyment and acceptance. And there are a lot of reasons for that, a lot of reasons why, and some of us, if we're real honest, you're in relationships with some people that you call friends, but you don't have each other's best interests in mind. You've got lots of enjoyment, you've got lots of acceptance, but this part's missing. You feel accepted, that's part of the problem. You have a great time together, there's lots of enjoyment. But maybe you've involved yourselves in things and you've involved yourself with them and they've involved you in conversations and entertainment and behaviors and priorities that you know are detrimental or maybe destructive or maybe even immoral. And you know that if they really had your best interest in mind, they would change those patterns or they would maybe quit calling you altogether. They'd quit pushing for sure and they'd quit inviting and they'd quit pressuring you. And you know when you come home after spending time with that group of friends, you don't, or that individual, you don't have to be in this relationship. It's not necessary. This friendship isn't good for you. It isn't good for your marriage. It isn't good for your reputation. It isn't good for your priorities. It isn't good for your goals and your dreams of your life. It isn't good for your testimony as a Christian. And you've told God a thousand times, you know, you're just going to change the nature of the relationship. But you go back to it time and time again because of the power of acceptance. And unfortunately, acceptance is what drives a lot of our relationships. We don't ever get to mutual concern because we love the enjoyment thing. We all enjoy that. We all love that enjoyment thing. But we're drawn to the acceptance thing. And we, unless we're really intentional about it, we'll never make a priority out of genuine concern. It often doesn't even factor in. And I think maybe some of you are here, I don't know your stories, and I don't know your deal and what's going on, but maybe some of you are here right now experiencing the opposite of this. You have people in your life right now that you call friends, they're involved in things that are detrimental to their lives and to their growth and to their God-given you know, purpose and the things like habits and behaviors and addictions and the way they interact with the opposite sex and the way that they spend their money and the way that they neglect their health and, and their priorities are all mixed up. And you know what's unhealthy, and in some cases you know it's wrong. Some, t- some cases it's morally wrong. And you can see where they're headed, maybe because of your own experience, you know the consequences that they're facing, but you haven't said anything because you have a good time with them, you enjoy them, and you can be yourself with them, and you, you love that high level of acceptance that you experience with them, and you're afraid to risk all that. You're afraid to stick your nose into their business because they might get offended, and they might cut you off, and they might get their feelings hurt, and you might lose a friendship. There's too much of a risk for you, so you've settled for a friendship that goes no further than enjoyment and acceptance. But in doing that, we rob ourselves, and we rob our friends of one of the greatest gifts that God has given us, this gift of real, authentic, genuine friendship. And in our hearts and in the hearts of the people that we talk to and work with and hang out with and do church with, we know that it has to go beyond just having a good time. It has to go beyond just being entertained together, beyond just feeling like I can let my hair down and be whoever I think I really am. But it goes beyond that. There's this authentic kind of thing, this mutual thing, this genuine concern. I'm in it for you, you're in it for me kind of thing. We know that's the heart of it. And yet oftentimes we sell our friends short and we sell ourselves short when we settle for enjoyment and acceptance before we experience genuine concern. Thankfully, 
Jesus has some things to say about this. And his followers had some things to say about this. Because I think Jesus would say to us that friendship is about this third thing. That's what friendship is all about. It's about being willing to risk a relationship, being willing to risk a friendship for the sake of your friend. And that's what we're going to talk about for the next few minutes. We're going to dig into this third element and, uh, and talk about genuine concern. If you have your Bible or you have a Bible app uh, on your mobile device, uh, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to put it on the screen as well. Philippians chapter 2. This is a letter to some people in a church in the city of Philippi. Sometimes we tend to forget that that the epistles in the New Testament were real letters written to, uh, written to real people in real places. And uh, Philippi was a city in eastern Macedonia in what is part of Greece today. And it's interesting that we're just watching this video from uh, Josh and Sarah. The city of Philippi was about 500 miles from where they live. Uh, the Apostle Paul, so, so it's a real, it was a real letter written to real people uh, at a real point in time in a real place. The Apostle Paul spent some time in Philippi around 50 AD, and together with Silas and Timothy and maybe possibly Luke, uh, they established the first church in Europe, in Philippi. This letter to the Philippian church was written about 10 years after Paul's first visit to Philippi. It was written while he's in prison, but there's lots of scholarly debate as to which imprisonment, because Paul spent some time in prison, at least three different times. And so there's some debate as to which, which visit to the, which prison this was. Um, but if you want my opinion on that, I don't have one. And so I, it, it, he's, we, that's the background, okay? So we're going we're gonna to look at this passage, what Paul has to say to these believers in Philippi. And it's almost parallel to what we say and what we hear in our conversations when we talk with each other about what we want in friendships. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Before we read this, if if we could just sum up friendship, I think this passage does it really well. And essentially what Paul says is the mission of a friend, if you want a mission statement for your friendship, the motto for a friendship, if you could just hang a plaque over a friendship, that category of friendship, this this would be it. Philippians chapter 2, let's start at verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, period. And let's close in prayer. Because this is pretty much, if we could just figure this out, if we could just live this way, if this statement characterized our lives, we'd be getting a lot of other stuff right too. This is it. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In other words, we're getting down to the crux of the matter, brass tacks, nitty-gritty, driving force. Interesting terminology he uses here, uh, this idea of selfish ambition. This is a phrase that's used in the Greek culture often for people with authority, people in government. And, of course, government then was even a lot different than government is now. It was for people who were striving for power. It was used to describe people who were convinced that they needed to do something and they didn't care what it cost to get it done. They were out to accomplish something, and they didn't care what it cost or who they ran over in order to accomplish their goals. They were so focused on their agenda, their goals, their pursuit, that they were totally blind to what it would take and what it would cost them or anybody around them. He says, you can't allow that kind of blind pursuit to interfere and to influence your decision-making and the way that you live your life. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. You know what vain conceit is? Vain conceit is when I think I deserve something more than you deserve it. Don't look at anybody right now, because this is not about the person sitting next to you. 
This is about each of us. This is meant for me and it's meant for you. The idea that I would think that I deserve something more than you deserve it. You know when there are two cookies on a plate and one of them is a picture-perfect, oversized, crispy on the outside and ooey-gooey on the inside. You know what I'm talking about? It's picture-perfect. Yeah, you just tasted it, didn't you? And the other one is kind of broken and crumbly and dry. It's been sitting out for a few days. doesn't have nearly as many chocolate chips in it. And you're looking the other way, so I decide I deserve that cookie more than you do. That's harmless, but when this attitude comes into other areas of our lives, it's really painful, it's detrimental, it's destructive. It's that thing in all of us that thinks we deserve to get the cookie. We deserve it. That all things being equal, we somehow deserve it more. We never say that. We would never say that because people that, you aren't friends with people that say that, and you wouldn't say it to your friends but there's a sense of vain conceit that we deserve something in life more than what we're getting usually. Paul says, look, you cannot allow your decisions to be driven by this sort of attitude. I want to share this with you. I heard this a few years ago, and I love it. It's kind of a paraphrase of this verse. It just says, don't allow self-centered pursuits fueled by the illusion of deserving something more than someone else to control my actions. Let's put that on the screen, I think. Did I give you that, Scott? Don't allow self-serving pursuits fueled by the illusion of deserving something more than someone else to control my actions. That's what Paul's saying. That when you come to crossroads, when you come to the fork in the road, you're trying to figure out, do I bend in his direction or do I bend in my direction? Do I bend in her direction or do I bend in my direction? You've got to break this self-centered habit. And so I don't know about you, This just strikes right at the core of my being. It goes right to who I am and what I am and what kind of person I really am. And I'm just like you, by the way. And Because I'd like to think that I'm the standard. I'm an exception and I'm the standard. uh, That, you know, if everybody would be more like me and if everybody... You, you know what I'm talking about, right? If everybody would be more like me, you you know, we all think this. I don't mean me, mean you. Because you're thinking it, right? Wouldn't this be a better world? I mean, how sweet would that be? Where you sit there and you're thinking, if people would just be more like me. Or you might think more like Todd. I don't know exactly how that works for you. But um, we're all kind of the same this way. Isn't Isn't that how you argue? Isn't that how you argue with your husband or your wife? Because if they would see things and do things the way that you see them and do them, wouldn't your home be a better place to live? It would be awesome. And, and if the people at work saw things and did things the way that you see things and do things, wouldn't, I mean, the way that you see things and do things, wouldn't that make that a better workplace? I mean, we think this way. We may not say it out loud, but we think it. We think we're the hub, the center, the standard. In most cases, if people would just move in our direction, this would be a better world. And the Apostle Paul would say to us, no, you've got it all wrong. I don't think that's going to work at all. And to think this way with this illusion is to set yourself up for trouble. 
Let me give you this quote from Larry Crabb from his book, um, Men and Women. And Larry Crabb's written some great stuff. You ever get to read anything by him, uh, it, just be prepared for it to rattle your relationships. He wrote this, The greatest obstacle to building truly good relationships is justified self-centeredness, a selfishness that deep in our souls feels entirely reasonable and therefore acceptable in the light of how we've been treated. I don't know what stands out to you there, but the whole, that middle line, justified self-centeredness. You may have never put those words together, but we've all done a fair amount of life right there. Justified self-centeredness. It's, a, it's, a, it, it's something that deep in our souls feels entirely right in light of the way that I've been treated. When it, I could probably just sit on this one and let you meditate on this for a little bit. But it's awkward, so I'll keep moving. When it comes to our self-centeredness, everybody has a case. Everybody can build a case for their self-centeredness. That's what he means, justified self-centeredness. What Larry Crabb says, what the Apostle Paul says, I think what our experience tells us this kind, is that this kind of illusion, this kind of self-centeredness, it truly is the greatest obstacle to healthy relationships. It's why we have such a difficult time bringing our friendships deeper, down into this third level, this idea of genuine concern, because... I don't mind having a good time with you. I enjoy having a good time with you. I'm glad you accept me the way I am. I'm glad to accept you the way you are. But when it comes down to my way, my thing versus your way and your thing, I'm sorry, we're going to have a parting of the ways eventually because I'm watching out for me because my deal's more important. I can look out for me. And if you argue with me, I can give you all kinds of solid reasons. I, can, I have built a rock solid case for my self-centeredness for, for, the, for why my way and my thing needs to be our priority justified self-centeredness. The Apostle Paul says to live with that kind of attitude, building our case, justifying our self-centeredness, it's an illusion. You're You're building a relationship on something that's not even true. And if you're wondering, well, where am I most likely to experience this? Listen, we are most likely to experience this illusion of justified self-centeredness within the relationships that are most important to us in our marriages, with our children, with our parents. And it robs us of genuine, I'm in it for you, you're in it for me kind of thing. The apostle Paul goes on from here and he gives us this, the attitude that we've got to develop if we're ever going to develop friendships that are characterized by genuine concern. And this gets kind of tricky. Look at what he says, verse 3. Uh, just finish those, start from the top there. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. In the Greek, it literally means in humility of mind. And this little Greek phrase appears nowhere else in any other ancient Greek literature except for the New Testament. Obviously, the original writers are at this point writing in Greek, and they came to concepts that there was no terminology for in the Greek language because Jesus' teachings were brand new. So they had to come up with some terms, with some phrases. And what this little phrase came to mean in the New Testament, it sort of became a technical term that says... As you think about yourself, not in light of where you stand with other people, but as you think about yourself and consider who you are in light of where you stand with a God who's your creator, this is what you ought to do. In other words, as you begin to think about the fact that there is a creator and you are the createe, 
Okay, that's a little Greek word too. You've never heard it before because I just made it up. Creati is not a word, but I thought it, it's kind of like you're the creature, and, but some of you are more creatures than others. So let's just use the word creati, okay? So, <laughs> sorry. You are one of billions. And for those of you who struggle with significance, because oh, the struggle for significance plays out in one extreme or the other. You're one of billions, and you're not just one of billions in this generation. You're one of billions in the context of the billions before you and the billions that will come after you. And as we begin to realize that we're not nearly as important as we think we are, as you realize who you really are, as you get some perspective on that, he says, look around and consider other people as having more value than you. This doesn't mean that some human beings are more valuable than anyone else, that anyone has more value than anyone else, okay? Let's just make that real clear. This is about a mindset. This is a way of thinking. And Paul said, in humility of mind. And this doesn't come easy. It doesn't come easy for me. It doesn't come naturally for me to consider other people as better or more important than, than me. More important is actually a better translation. As I look around, I have to think, I have to think you're more important than me. And you're more important than me, and you're more important than me. Another interesting Greek word here, this word value, your Bible might say consider, depending on the translation you have. It's an accounting term. It just means to place a value on something. So here's what Paul says. When you think about your friends, when you think about the people in your life, when you think about the people that you don't even want to be your friends, you are, in your mind, you are to place a value on that person that is greater than yourself. It's not necessarily that they are more important. It's not that they are better than you. It's a renewing of the mind thing. It's a humility of mind thing. Where you and I decide that the people around us are more important than us. I, I, just, I just maybe, because this is awkward and uncomfortable, uh, let's just take it up a notch and take a look around. Just take a look around. Look at this room. Just look at the people in this room. There are people here that you know. There are people here you've never met. There are people here you see most Sundays, but you've never engaged with them. There are people that um, you think you'd like to get to know, but you never have. There are people that you have no interest in getting to know. Maybe you should. There are people you don't like. Um, there are people you wait to see where they're sitting and then you decide where you're going to sit. All that's going on just in this room. Um, just look around. Think for a minute. What would happen in our relationships? What would happen in our marriages? What would happen in our families? What would happen in our workplaces? What would happen in this church if we decided? Not because they are more important, but I'm going to consider them. I'm placing a value on them that whatever I am, they're a plus. They're more important. What if we really considered the people around us to be more important than us? I'm going to come back to this thought. The Apostle Paul knew this was way too mind-blowing, so he says this. He's like, look, let me tell you what to do. So he gives us an application in the next verse, in verse 4. He says, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. The word interest doesn't appear in the Greek text. It's just 
left blank. So, so the translators uh, had to kind of figure it out in the context. What is this, what's this inferring? And the word interest is a pretty good word, and it's used in a lot of translations. But perhaps a better way for us to uh, understand this, he says, look, you're, you're not supposed to spend your time and money uh, looking out for your own deal. You're supposed to schedule in and budget in time and energy and resources to look out for other people. Don't just spend your whole life on you. We need to take interest in and invest in other people and their deal. If you want to figure out how this works and what this looks like... Um, you got to discover what's important to the people around you. And you have to have and express an interest. This is kind of just the beginning. These are kind of baby steps to understanding and experiencing what genuine concern for other people is in order for us to get beyond enjoyment and get beyond acceptance, and that's all good, but get to where you and I are interacting with other people, with people that we consider friends, that we take the time and discipline ourselves to bring out what's in us because we really do care. When I look around the room, I believe you're a room full of, this is a room full of caring people. You really do care. But unfortunately, we get running at 100 miles an hour and scheduled down to the minute, and we just don't take time to do what is genuinely in us, because we care. But only a small number of you carve out time and energy to follow through, to ask the questions, to express concern, to make sure that we're not too busy, that we're not too tired, we're not too distracted, to carve out some time and some emotional energy to think about and express interest in someone else's deal. These are the steps. This is how you begin to move towards beyond enjoyment and acceptance towards uh, genuine concern. I want to give you two ways to apply this, then I'm going to be done. Two ways. This is, the first one's kind of maybe a little silly. I don't know. But, uh, and let me tell you, this is something I do all the time. And I, this was taught to me years ago and, uh, at a, some kind of leadership event I was at, and, and I took this away. And I just want to encourage you to try this. And if you think I'm not a very nice person or a very personable person, just imagine what it would be if I didn't do what I'm about to share with you. <laughs> I, think, I think this is a, I don't think this is a gimmick. I think it's a real, it, to me, it's about that humility mind thing. There's a renewing of the mind that has to happen. And if I can begin to change the way I think, I can begin to change the way I talk and the way the words that I use and the way that I interact with people. I don't, um, I don't think it's just playing mind tricks. I think it's a renewing of the mind. Um, this is a way to begin to help us to slow down, to notice. Just to notice. To carve out time, to find the emotional energy, to express interest in someone else's deal. I want you to think of someone that you really do consider more important than yourself. Think about that. Don't say Jesus, because that's the Sunday school answer, because that's everybody, okay, we get that. Somebody else. Think of somebody. It could be somebody. I'm just going to let you sit for a second and think on that. Some of you are going to have a hard time with this. And if that's the case, you have problems we do not have time to deal with this morning. More... Most of us can think of a hero in our lives, someone that we look up to, somebody, maybe it might be somebody we know. Um, it could be somebody you don't know, but someone that has had, and you've admired, and they've had an influence on you from afar. It might be an author or a speaker or something like that. Maybe it's someone in your family uh, from maybe a previous generation. Maybe it's a relative that you have so much respect and admiration for. I'm talking about the kind of person that if there are two, if there are two cookies left on the plate, you take the dry, broken crunchy one. You, you just, you don't dare take the good one. 
Got your person in mind? Can you play along with me here for a second? What would happen this week if you just put that person's name across the forehead of everybody you interact with? Oh, let's just back up a little bit. How about everybody close to you? Let's just start there. John Maxwell calls this putting a 10 on everyone's head. I mean, can you imagine getting to heaven and saying, you know, well, God, I treated her that way because, I mean, the reason I talked down to her because she's just my wife. You wouldn't say those words out loud, but you've thought it. Well, the reason I don't treat him with much respect is because it's just my, it's just my husband, it's just my mom, it's just my dad, it's just my ex, it's just my boss. See what we do? We create these categories. And what this verse does is it says, <laughs> let's set the categories aside. There are no categories. You've got to treat everyone as someone who's more important than you. I mean, how differently would you treat people? It's kind of, it's like I noticed this this week. I had this experience this week. It's the difference between the way you treat people in the checkout line at the store when you're both pushing a shopping cart and the way that you treat those same people when they're trying to change lanes on High Street. I had this happen this week. Where the same person who was being rude to me on High Street, I ended up in the same aisle checkout lane with them at the store. The things I thought about saying or maybe did say, we do stuff in our cars that we would never do in person. Let me just put it that way, okay? <laughs> Can you imagine if that person you thought of a couple minutes ago, that person that you have so much admiration and respect for and you, a lot of, you place a lot of value on them, if you treated them the same way in a conversation that you treat your husband or your wife or your kids, you, can you imagine? Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm listening. No, really, I'm listening. No, go ahead. No, what? Huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I'm listening. Go ahead. I'm just sending a thing here. I just got what? I just got it. No, go ahead. Yeah, what? Mm-hmm. Just listen to some voicemails here. You would never do that to that person that you thought of. That person gets our undivided attention. And when we place a higher value on the people around us, when we think of them as more important than us, then what they have to say and the needs that they have, they take precedent over what we're thinking about. It's more important than some text conversation that we're having or some phone call we want to take or some voicemail we feel that we really need to check right now. It's more important than what's going on on TV or whatever screen is in front of you. They get our undivided attention. And here's the thing about us as humans. We're usually, because we're decent people in this room. I mean, we go to church. I mean, we've got to be pretty decent. I mean, anyway, we're usually concerned about their deal, but we don't often express it. We don't act on it. We don't engage with it. We don't sacrifice our own agenda. The Apostle Paul says that to get there, we've got to begin treating people as if they're more important than we are. They, oh, they aren't more important. We all have equal value in the sight of God. No one's more important than anyone else, but we need to treat them as if they were. Oh, here's the other thing I wanted to tell you. Take your index finger and put it right here on your mouth like this. Just kind of do this. And I know some of you aren't going to do this because I wouldn't do it either if it wasn't me up here telling you to do it. So... <laughs> Just repeat after me. Ask, listen, remember. Ask, listen, remember. Now take your fingers down as you look like fools. Do you want to... 
You want to initiate this thing? Want to see if we can take this relationship, this friendship of enjoyment and acceptance to genuine concern? Want to see if we can take it there? Begin by asking them about their deal. Ask them about what's really going on in their life. Listen to what they have to say. Really listen. You might have to go out to lunch and leave your phone in the car. Or go to a restaurant where there's no cell signal and no Wi-Fi. There's at least one of them in town. I could recommend it. Listen. And then don't use your questions as a transition to something that you want to talk about. Listen for once. The conversation doesn't always have to be about you. Listen to what they're saying. And then remember. Next time you see them, ask about it. Follow up. Ask how things are going. Be specific. Remember the previous conversation. Because you do care. I know you care. But we get busy and then we get tired. And we get involved in our thing and we rob ourselves. Listen, self-centeredness never paves the way to relationship. Self-centeredness paves the way to isolation and loneliness. And you're headed toward isolation and loneliness through your self-centeredness, even if it's justified. And guess who loses? You do. You lose. And everybody who loves you loses. And the Apostle Paul says it's time to begin to renew our minds. Ask, listen, remember. And you're like, well, Todd, I don't know. That's interesting and all, I guess. And it's all good for you, I guess. But how far do we take this? Because, you know, I could be standing at the door all day going, no, you go. No, you go. No, you. No, really. No, you. No, you. Well, I got to get to lunch. Well, so do I. But you go. No, no, you. How far do you take this? I'm going to tell you how far to take it. I'm going to tell you exactly how far to take it. You ready? You might want to write this down because this will change your life. I'm going to tell you exactly how far to take this. Ready? We are to take this as far as we possibly can. We're going to take it so far that at times we're going to be taken advantage of. Because the Savior whom we worship and we hold as our supreme example, do you know what he did? He came from heaven and he came to earth and he, because he decided that our sin problem, our deal, took priority over his deal. And his deal uh-huh, was being son of God. He didn't have to justify any self-centeredness. He was the son of God. And the angels and all the people in heaven and all creation worshipped him. His deal was, I deserve all the glory. His deal was, I'm God. That was his deal. And he took it. And he, and he set it aside. He said the condition of humanity, their sin, their deal, the, this broken relationship with the Creator, Heavenly Father, it just takes priority over my deal. And he came from heaven, and he lived as a man, and he gave his life as a sacrifice for our sins so that we would know what it was to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And then he said to you and to me, now go love one another the way I've loved you. Go value others as more important than you. I'm so glad this wasn't my idea, because if it was my idea, you should have left along like half an hour ago. But the example of Jesus and the words of the Apostle Paul, I'm telling you, these are giant steps towards understanding and experiencing authentic, genuine concern in the context of our friendships.
I'm in it for you. You're in it for me. I'm willing to sacrifice the friendship for the sake of my friend kind of thing. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this is, for some of us, a really familiar passage of Scripture. In fact, we kind of hear it and we're like, oh yeah, Philippians 2, we know what that is. That's the whole, consider others a little bit more important. And it's easy for us to kind of check out and think that we've heard all we need to hear and uh, that we're, we're, we kind of got that. Today, I pray that we'd be in a place where we would just create enough space for the Holy Spirit to whisper quietly into our lives, to shed some light and some, maybe some relationships where we've made it about us. We aren't even close to genuine concern. We haven't taken the first steps either. Pray that you convict each of us. Show us exactly where and how we can live in relationship with one another and follow the example of Jesus and set our agenda aside for the sake of the person we love. To set our self-centeredness aside, even with the strong case that we've built, because we've, in, in light of all that's happened to us, I deserve this. Help us set all that, that mindset aside for the sake of the people around us in our lives and those that you want us to influence. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Just listen to the words of this song. Listen to this.
心。